Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast, check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the monthly newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. In tonight's episode, I chat with Tony Coots about her experience in Sydney, Australia, under a four-month-long pandemic lockdown. She shares about how the night sky helped her through this emotional and straining time. And our favorite NASA Solar System Ambassador, Ted Blank, is back to answer your questions. Are you ready? Let's jump right in. As everybody knows, social media is a double-edged sword. It can raise your blood pressure and bring out the worst in you. But if you treat it with respect, it can reward you with new relationships. And this is exactly how I met tonight's guest, Tony Coots. I'm rather new to the world of Instagram, so I've been looking for people to follow who fit into the Night Sky Tourist wheelhouse. Tony's moon and starry night astrophotography caught my attention immediately. Not only are they set against the beautiful flora and fauna of Australia, but her moon photos make me feel something. Our social media interactions continued to grow, and I discovered that she was in the midst of a super long pandemic lockdown, and she was trapped in her own neighborhood. Tony has been through much in her life, including the recent losses of a friend and an uncle due to COVID. Yet night after night, she posted her images of the moon from her own backyard, and it was clear that she was finding an important anchor in the night sky. In addition to her amazing astrophotography skills, Tony also has a degree in welfare studies, and she has studied mental health, psychology, and sociology. She has much insight to offer in our conversation about how connecting to the night sky can be a tool for emotional wellness. Please join me tonight in welcoming to the podcast, Tony Coots. Tony, thank you for joining me on the Night Sky Tours podcast tonight. And I have to say that I love your photography of the night sky, especially the moon. And I have to know how you got into night sky photography or astrophotography. Well, it was a bit of a journey. I, I've always been in love with the night sky ever since I saw Haley's Comet as a young girl. Um, and I was taking it on firstly on film and then on my iPhone. And a friend of mine, I was doing mixed media, said to me that he actually preferred my sort of photography on my iPhone of the bushfires. I said, pick up a camera and, and go for it. So I picked up the camera. And because I love the night sky, it was a natural progression for me to just, you know, start taking photos of the moon. Um, we were in lockdown in Sydney. And um, so every night I would sit outside and practice taking photos of the moon. And then I started doing courses um, with the Milky Way and just completely fell in love with astrophotography. And I've mentioned to you already that one of the things that I like about your photography is that even though I love seeing 
the images that people take with telescopes, you know, these big grand photos. I love that your images tend to show the night sky in context with the landscape. That's actually my goal. I do single shots um, and they're handheld most of the time when I'm running around with the moon. Milky Way is sort of more prepped and planned. But for me, it's getting out there and actually taking the shot as is and seeing the night sky as it is, rather than, you know, pulling stock photos and doing composites that aren't really there. I think it takes away from the integrity of the sky, um, especially when you know where the Milky Way is going to rise and you know where the moon's going to rise. And you see people's work, especially on Instagram, where it's the Milky Way is sideways and the moon's coming up behind something, you know it's not going to come up behind. Um, and for me, it's very important as a photographer of my art is to to be genuine, be real and have the, the, you know, make the most of the night sky and bring out its beauty rather than change it. And I think that's why when I got into uh, Instagram, you caught my attention right away. I like that. Thank you so much. It's nice to be appreciated for that because I'm not out for the like, I'm not out for followers. I'm out to sort of show people my art and this, and I try and let people in and sort of see a little bit about me and, and what I'm about. Um, rather than going for the big massive following and, and putting the moon and the flamingo on the moon or putting the Milky Way, <laughs> you know, um, sideways and diagonal and, and making it big and absolutely completely different to what it would be. Um, so for me, it's very important to just stay real and genuine with my photography and just make things beautiful. What's your favourite thing about getting out and doing the night sky photography? Um, for me, it's not actually about the photo. It's actually about the experience. So I love just, you know, going different places and trying. So a lot of my, my work isn't even planned. So I'll just go, oh, I want to go up to, you know, a certain part of New South Wales or around the corner and, and try and get what I can get. Because when you go out sometimes, you, you get thrown different things. Like, for example, you'll go out to shoot the moon and there's a massive, beautiful halo rather than, you know, taking it behind trees and you focus on the halo instead. So there's just, for me, it's sort of being open to what's out there rather than planning things all the time and just having fun with it. So, Tony, I know that you've just come out of a pretty extensive lockdown there in, in Sydney. So tell us a little bit about your experience in the pandemic lockdown. And it was long. So we, in Sydney, we locked down like everybody else did March last year. So 2020 was made, uh, sorry, March to about May. Um, so we had a fairly big lockdown there too. Um, and then we got to zero cases. So from the zero cases, we were all, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Life's happening. But, you know, our borders were strictly shut international. We knew we had to open at some point. But our government failed in our vaccine rollout. So we ended up Delta hit. Um, so we've been in lockdown for four week, uh, four months and one week. Um, and then we hit the 70% vaccination point and we started to open. So we're still not open completely now. Um, and for double that, uh, sorry, for unvaccinated people, they're still actually locked down completely until the 1st of December. So it's been very long. Um, our, we had to stay obviously at home. We're going to go, I think it's, I'm trying to do miles to kilometres, 10 kilometres, which I think is six miles, um, and then it got uh, even smaller to we could only go three miles from our house. And I was single, um, you know, I had to see people. You could only go out for essential items, um, medical reasons. Um, and basically, it was staying at home. It was very lonely and isolating. 
And it was a struggle. It really was a struggle for so many people. The night sky helped me. Having my photography helped me to um, have a focus because it's so easy to slip into a sort of depression and wondering, when are we going to get out of this? Are we going to get out of this? And I think that if I didn't have that, I think I would have lost a lot of hope. I think it's hard for people who have not experienced that long of a lockdown to really put our minds around what that would have been like. It's really hard for Sydney people, but Melbourne's even longer. Melbourne's had the longest lockdown in the world. So over 245 days out of the last two years, they have been in lockdown. Um, So it's isolating. You don't see family. You don't see friends. You rely so much on social media, um, Facebook and um, Instagram and things like that just to connect with people and have that human connection. You don't have hugs and you don't have... you know, seeing people haven't seen, you know, children being born or, you know, their grandchildren or, you know, seeing my family. I haven't even seen my nephews yet and they live down the coast, still in the same state, but we, I can't go see them yet. So it, it's very, um, you feel like your freedom's gone and you question that too. Um, are we ever, ever going to be out of this? And, you know, we're being controlled and then, you know, people have different political views on vaccines and, it became a very, very heavy atmosphere. So it's finding things through that to keep you going. And night sky photography, YouTube, watching uh, and listening to podcasts really help get you through, just having that little bit of a focus. So I became acquainted with you through Instagram during your lockdown. And, and I'm fairly new through to Instagram. And so, um, you know, we made that connection and I got the impression that your time under the night sky really helped you get through this difficult emotional time. And, you know, you've, you've actually suffered some losses of people uh, due to COVID. And so what, what did the night sky do for you, especially in those moments of loss that you had? For me, it gave a sense of being connected. And, and for me, I lost a lot of people that I loved already. My parents passed away. Um, and it's almost for me when I go out to the night sky, like a spiritual experience. So I feel so connected to people that I've lost and people around me that, you know, I lost my friend in the USA um, and then I lost my uncle last week to COVID. They're both massive fans of my work. Um, So for me, going out there, I can think about them, you know, take a photo for them in their memory. And But for me, it's definitely almost a religious experience for me under the night sky. I actually completely fell in love and connected with it, seeing Hubble in 3D at the IMAX theatre. So I was sitting there in the theatre after my dad passed away and questioning everything, questioning faith, questioning absolutely everything about life. And while I was sitting there, I was sitting amongst the planets and the constellations and the stars in like real time. And I just fell in love. I was like, this is it. This is what life is about for me. And I felt such a spiritual connection to my dad at that particular point that when I go under the night sky now, I just, you know, say a little prayer and hi there. And it makes me feel so much closer I guess, spiritually and spiritually connected to everybody. It's an amazing feeling. I went to an event where there was a ranger from um, Grand Canyon National Park, and he had done this activity at Grand Canyon where he'd set up a telephone and people could pick up the phone 
and record a message to a loved one while they were under the night sky. And they would pick out a star or something like that and leave this message for their lost loved ones. And it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about, about how it opened this connection to them to be able to express emotions that they had no way to express before. And I think it's it's so beautiful. And I'm really grateful that you've shared this with us. You're so welcome. It's, it's all true, definitely. And what an amazing thing to do to be able to pick up the phone and, and talk to a loved one. But that's, that's a beautiful thought. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of how I feel, I guess, under the night sky. I can sort of, you can, especially the moon, the moon knows all my secrets. Like I'll sit there and even if I'm not talking, I'm like visualizing and verbalizing and just putting things into perspective. You have a degree in welfare studies. So mental health is in your wheelhouse of professional knowledge. And how do you see the night sky as being a tool for mental health and an overall sense of well-being? It could be a huge tool um, if individual therapies and things could tap into it. Um, with welfare studies, so basically in my degree, um, so sociology, psychology, life skills, um, all these different things, mental health, and, and we look at the welfare of a person. Then we refer on to somebody who we feel um, could help them in the best way possible. So um, someone who came to me with anxiety, um, I would have a look at them holistically um, and sort of say, you know, okay, well, let's look at where the anxiety is stemming from and we can refer you to the appropriate person. And um, with mental health, I think um, in the night sky, it can be, uh, there's a lot of research now that's showing that the night sky has an amazing effect on mental illness, especially the there's this research out now, um, it's called the awe study. And basically it talks about how, the feelings of awe and the vastness of the night sky actually triggers um, people to be less stressed, um, calms them down, um, gives a sense of purpose. And I think if we can tap into that and maybe um, different therapies and different therapists and, and different schools of that kind of mental health can tap into maybe they're prescribing, they're actually prescribing in some place now Starbucks. They call it Starbucks, where you actually you know, they say to you, um, go under the night sky um, and, yeah, just relax and, and try and calm down. I think we can really use it as a tool. I love that idea of a yes. star bath. It's kind of like the Japanese, they have their forest bathing. Exactly. And the thing with the vastness and the sense of awe, you know, the night sky is one of them, but there's the ocean and then there's the mountains. And we're particularly talking about the night sky tonight. So it's something that triggers people's sense of wonder, that childlike wonder where you feel innocent and free. And then with the vastness, you're just so uh, minuscule. So your problems start to feel a bit more minuscule as well, even for that short amount of time. We've all experienced being outside under a night sky and someone gasped and they're like, did you see that shooting star? Exactly. Exactly. And it's amazing the feelings that you get under, under it when especially for people that haven't, you know, they live in the city and they've never seen the Milky Way or they've never seen a shooting star. And to get them under the night sky, I just think it would be, you know, for me, it was an amazing settling experience. It calms me down. It makes me feel connected. Um, My stresses seem to disappear even for that short amount of time. And if we can get more people doing that, you know, hopefully, you know, there's even research to say people are kinder 
when you've been under the night sky um, because, you know, you feel so connected to everybody and you just feel so, you know, whole when you're under it. That's why we all like to go camping and sit in front of a campfire because, yeah, you're right. I think that it breaks down certain kinds of barriers, maybe attitudes and things like that that help us to really connect with people. Exactly. And then I, I'm, well, I'm talking to you, a beautiful person from across the world. We've connected through a love of the night sky. And I think that it's a great way to meet, you know, people that are like-minded and people have similar um, sort of characteristics where we're very open to each other and we just love the night sky and the passion for the night sky. And, and it's, it decreases loneliness as well. So if people can tap into that and maybe join, like I joined my local astronomy society. I've met some beautiful people through that or do your night sky tour, tourism and get into a group where you can go travel and meet new people. Um, it's a great tool for mental health and just to enjoy as well. I think most of the people that I've met who take their telescopes out to let other people look at the night sky through their telescopes, they really are the kind of people who are so in awe of what they've seen through their telescope themselves that it just comes out of them. Like they can't wait for people to look through that telescope and see what they've seen. Exactly. They just want to pass on the knowledge and pass on the awe and and get people to look up and, and, you know, we say smell the roses, but how about, how about looking up at the night sky? It does the same thing. It stop, makes us stop and makes us sort of look at our place in the world. What would you say to someone who has been struggling with anxiety, depression, maybe even hopelessness, especially over the last couple of years with the pandemic? I think if they're really struggling, first and foremost, please reach out to a professional. That has to be said. Then from there, it's, you know, maybe have a look at the night sky. as something different for you, for you to calm down, to feel good about yourself. I'm going to put in the show notes some links that people can go to um, if they really do need to reach out and get some professional help. It's like you said, that is really vital definitely vital to reach out and get that help from even if it is reaching out to a friend talk to them but professional help is definitely you know um the first and foremost um, but looking at the night sky is free too it's kind of a free therapy um i know it costs a lot to actually you know go see somebody but you know as an alternative um and something they can do in the meantime is just take a take a breath walk outside, take a breath, have a look up and um, try and center. Tony, where can people find you online? Online, um, on Instagram. So it is Tony, T-O-N-I underscore underscore Coots, K-O-U-T-S. And I'm on Facebook as Antoinette Coots Artist as well. All right. I will put links for that in the show notes as well. And I really hope that everybody goes and looks at your absolutely beautiful photography. And gets a chance to see your beautiful face as well. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad that you know we connected and I love your work too. I admire you so much. And especially you know what, what you're doing with the, the Dark Sky Foundation and your center that you're building. I think that's amazing. Thank you. 
Did you know that the Night Sky Tourist Podcast is just about to celebrate its first anniversary? And the Night Sky Tourist website is going to be celebrating its second anniversary. To celebrate, I've just launched a greatly improved website, and I hope that you check it out at nightskytourist.com. And I have a gift for you while you're there. You can download the free Things to See in the Night Sky in 2021. And as a subscriber, you're going to be the first to get the updated 2022 version before the end of the year. I also want to invite each and every one of you to be part of this anniversary celebration. There are two ways you can participate in this milestone with me. First, you can record a 15 to 30 second happy anniversary message on your phone's voice memo app, and then email it to me at hello at nightskytourist.com. Be sure to identify yourself in the recording and email it to me by November 1st. I'm going to include as many of these in the next episode as possible. The second really valuable way that you can participate is by leaving a review for the Night Sky Tours podcast in your favorite podcatcher. For example, if you listen in Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star rating and leave a written review. These reviews really help the podcast to get more exposure and let people know that it's worth listening to. This would be the most meaningful anniversary gift I could receive. Thank you so much for being part of the Night Sky Tourist world, and I can't wait to go more places with you over the next 12 months. I love getting great night sky and astronomy-related questions from our listeners. Each question is answered by Ted Blank, a NASA Solar System Ambassador. Our first question comes from Scott. He asks, if an astronomer lived on the far side of the moon, would he ever know that Earth existed without actually seeing it? If an astronomer lived on the far side of the moon, it would be very difficult for him or her to confirm the existence of the Earth. The moon has no atmosphere, so there would be no way for radio waves from Earth to be bent around to the far side where they could possibly be picked up. One way that it could be done, though, is if the astronomer observed Mars's position in the sky very closely. Because of the effect of the Earth on the moon's orbit, Mars would appear to make about a one-third degree uh, retrograde motion back and forth, superimposed on its normal retrograde motion. And this might be a hint that there's a heavier planet on the other side uh, affecting the orbit of the moon. Scott, this question has never entered my mind, but it's an interesting idea, and I'm so glad that you asked it. Our next question comes from Summer. She asks, why was Pluto removed from the list of planets in our solar system? Pluto was reassigned from planet to dwarf planet because of an esoteric rule instituted by the International Astronomical Union regarding whether a planet has cleared the space in its orbit. However, this reassignment put Pluto into a group of objects called the Kuiper Belt. So in my mind, Pluto went from being a small fish in a big pond to a big fish in a pond filled with mostly smaller fish. Summer, I'm not sure how old you are, but I know the people who grew up with Pluto as a planet don't like seeing it removed from the lineup. If you have a question for our podcast, please record a voice memo and email it to us at hello at nightskytourist.com. 
You can also visit nightskytourist.com slash podcast for more details and tips on how to send it. It's time for our tour across the night sky. And depending on where you live, the evenings might be growing a bit colder. But don't let that stop you from seeing some of the beautiful night sky objects right now. Grab your jacket and get everyone in your house and I'll meet you outside under the stars. Let's start our tour by visiting the visible planets. There are three visible to the naked eye right now, Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus. Venus is the really bright star toward the western sky, and Jupiter is straight up from the southern sky, with Saturn just two fist lengths to the west of it. Jupiter was the god of the sky and thunder in ancient Roman mythology, and Saturn was the god of wealth, agriculture, and liberation. And Venus was the goddess of love, fertility, and victory. While all of the planets were featured in ancient mythologies around the world, there is a particularly convoluted association between Venus and Lucifer, and it really fascinates me. Let's start with the science part of this story. We need to understand how Venus moves in our night sky to understand how the ancients developed their mythologies about it. As an inner planet, which means that it orbits between Earth and the Sun, we never see Venus rise directly overhead or make a path all the way from east to west. We can only see Venus in the east before sunrise or in the west right after nightfall. But not all of the ancient cultures understood that this was a single planet until sometime after 400 BCE. So it had names as the morning star and different names as the evening star. But the ancient Sumerians called her Inanna. And surprisingly, they figured out that this morning and evening star were the same celestial object. The myth called Inanna's Descent into the Underworld brings this knowledge into their cultural stories. And then the Babylonians also understood the morning and evening Venus were a single celestial object. They knew Venus as the goddess Ishtar, and she was often referred to as the bright queen of heaven. Now in Canaanite myth, Venus was associated with the god Attar, which was a masculine version of Ishtar. In the Canaanite myth, Attar attempted to occupy the throne of Baal, and unable to accomplish this, he descended and ruled the underworld instead. But there's another Canaanite story that says that a lesser god, known as Hillel, tried to dethrone the Canaanite supreme god, El, who was believed to live on a mountain to the north. Hillel's ambition was to ascend higher than all the other stellar deities, but was driven down to the depths of the underworld when he failed. This gets really interesting when you look at the Hebrew Bible and how it borrows this mythology from the ancient Canaanites and repurposes it for a story in Isaiah 14. In this story, the king of Babylon is condemned using this imagery of the Canaanite myth. In the Hebrew language, Venus is called Hillel, that same name that was used in the Canaanite story. And it means bringer of the dawn or morning star in Hebrew. 
In the story of Isaiah 14, taunts are hurled at the king of Babylon, along with a description of what his death would be like. And then it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, which in Hebrew is the word El. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly in the utmost heights of Mount Zavon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. This is nearly identical to the Canaanite myth of Hillel and the chief Canaanite god, El. But then something interesting happens. The Bible was translated into Latin about 1600 years ago in the year 382 CE. And the Latin word for Venus, the morning star, or Hillel as it's known in Hebrew, was translated into the Latin word Lucifer, which is the Latin word for Venus, the morning star. Latin was a language in ancient Rome, and the ancient Romans had their own folklores about Venus, whom they called Lucifer, the personification of the dawn. But as Christianity spread and theologies developed, this name Lucifer was absorbed into Christianity as a name for the devil, even though the Hebrew and Greek Bibles used different names for Satan and the devil. New theologies were formed, and Isaiah 14 was reinterpreted to represent the fall of Satan, whom they now associated with Lucifer. However, modern Bible translators have corrected this translational problem by using morning star in Isaiah 14 instead of Lucifer. This correction helps the Isaiah story make sense in its context, but it also hamstrings the Lucifer connection to Satan. Some habits die hard. There is more to the Venus story in my blog article titled Venus, the planet with two names. Look for a link in the show notes or at nightskytourist.com 26. Let's take a quick look at some other fun objects in tonight's sky. The summer triangle is still clearly visible. If you haven't learned the names of the constellations yet, use a stargazing app, on night mode of course, to find these three bright stars. The triangle is made by connecting Deneb in the constellation Cygnus, Vega in the constellation Lyra, and Altair in the constellation Aquila. This is a fun asterism to locate, and if you're in a dark enough location, you'll notice the stream of the Milky Way runs right through the middle of it. Look a bit east of the Summer Triangle and find the large Pegasus constellation. You'll see a box-shaped asterism, and from there you can look for the front legs and the head of the winged horse. You can learn more about Pegasus in our star tour of episode 24. The Andromeda constellation shares the northeastern star of the box asterism of Pegasus. And located within the borders of Andromeda is the Andromeda galaxy. This spiral galaxy is our nearest galactic neighbor and we are on a collision course toward each other. We will merge into one giant galaxy in oh, probably five to six billion years. 
It's possible to see the Andromeda galaxy with the naked eye on a clear night from a somewhat dark location. It appears as a small fuzzy dot if you know just where to look, and using averted vision is the best way to see it. You can use a stargazing map to help you find its location, or research the object M31 online in advance to help you map out the location of it. Just to the east of Andromeda is the constellation Perseus, and just east of that, rising from the northeastern horizon, is the five-sided Auriga. In dark sky locations, you can see the Milky Way running behind Auriga. I'm pretty excited to see our winter constellations start to peek their noses over the eastern horizon in the evenings now. If you look directly east, you might be able to spot some of Taurus. It looks like a nearly upside-down V right now. And lift your eyes a little farther up, west of Taurus, and you'll see what looks like a bright but tiny little dipper. This is my favorite asterism, the Pleiades. The Pleiades is actually part of the Taurus constellation, but it has a special star story all its own. And we'll chat more about that when it rises higher in the sky this winter. Stay tuned for our next star tour when we learn more about the constellation Aquarius. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the monthly newsletter for exclusive content. Click on the podcast tab to find instructions for submitting your question for a future episode. Thank you to Tony Coots for joining us from Sydney, Australia, and for sharing your beautiful thoughts about our emotional connection to the night sky. Find links for things we've talked about in this episode at nightskytourist.com slash 26. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up. <laughs>